You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. So in your little pamphlets, you're getting a bit of an overview of, of where we're going in this whole month. Uh, and so we begin uh, today with sex and sexuality. Next week, we're going to be talking about truth and reconciliation. Uh, and I have uh, a friend of mine who is coming from Thunder Bay, Ontario, Melissa Ewing. She's the lead pastor at a church out there. She's going to be talking about truth and reconciliation. Uh, after that, we're going to be talking about singleness, as you can see, uh, and then we're going to wrap things up uh, with uh, uh, Reverend uh, Marty Dolfo Smith uh, coming to speak to us on domestic abuses. And so, wow, the Lord is, uh, is king of all, isn't he? I went to a Christian high school in the early 90s, so you got to get it in your picture, or a picture in your mind. It was a glorious time, right? We wore flannel shirts and overalls. You remember those? For those of you who are of my vintage, we had to drive to Blockbuster to get and watch a movie. Doesn't happen today, does it? We knew how to dance the Macarena. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. It was a glorious day. And, and I remember one day, a scandal broke out at our Christian high school. On the bus that morning, the radio was playing the 90s hit song, Let's Talk About Sex, Baby by Salt and Peppa. Remember that one? Right? You know, you know it, or some of you do, maybe. Well, a few concerned parents, they found out about this scandal on the Christian school bus. And the whole rest of the year, mark this, we had to ride that bus in silence. That radio was never turned on again after that particular day. And you know what? Okay, okay, yes, there are groans. We get it. You know, there, there was reasons behind the decision, right? I get it. But I remember thinking as a teenager that the Christian adults that I knew, they didn't want to talk about sex. And to be honest, that's what we wanted to talk about at that age, or at least think about. And you know what? The, the, the same thing happens today, 30 years later. The church, for one reason or another, struggles to talk about sex and sexuality. But here's why we need to talk about it. We need to talk about sex because, you know what, the Bible talks about it. (laughs) In fact, the Bible celebrates sex. You can't get past the first chapter of our Bible without a reference to sex. And then again, in the second chapter... There's even a whole book in our Bible, the Song of Solomon, that has at time to time in history been censored. They don't want young people to read it because it's steamy, (laughs) pretty steamy indeed. Second, so we need to talk about sex because the Bible talks about it. But second, we need to talk about sex and sexuality in the church because our world is really confused about it all. And though we are not people of the world, we live in the world. And and, and so sometimes we are ourselves confused. When we think about the world at large, for instance, on one hand, our culture says sex is no big deal. It's a casual thing. It's just physical. It's no big deal. But on the other hand, our culture says that our sexuality is the most important thing about us. That sex and sexuality are central to living a happy and fulfilled life. 
And herein lies the confusion. Sex and sexuality can't be no big deal and the most important thing at the same time. And so we need help. We need help to sort through the confusion. And so we talk about it. Let's talk about sex. Now, the topic this morning is huge. It's huge, and it's very complex. And so let me just say that. There is way more, way more to sort through than we can get through today. And so I ask for your grace in that. Uh, But let me offer a a few introductory comments to frame where I'm going this morning. First, my goal is to help you understand the bigger picture of how God has made us as sexual beings. Now, maybe for some of you, that even makes you a little uncomfortable. It's like, God made us as sexual beings? Oh, wait a minute. There is a generation or two in this room where you don't talk about this kind of thing in church But God has made us sexual beings, and I want to help us understand the bigger picture of how God has done that. I want to help us hear what the Bible teaches about how to be sexual beings that reflect God's glory in the world. I mean, after all, that is is our our purpose, (laughs) to reflect God's glory into the world with all that we are, with all that we have been given. And now, that's what I want to do, help us get get the bigger picture. But with that said, hear this. I do not presume that my words today are the final authority on this subject. (laughs) Only God has the final word. Only Him. And today is really my humble attempt to help us order our sexual lives based on, on His word to us. And so I'm not speaking this morning as a cultural expert, but I will speak about culture. And I'm not speaking as someone who knows all there is to know about sex and sexuality. I don't. But I am speaking as a pastor. And I'm speaking as your pastor. That's how I'm approaching this morning. Second, uh, I want to speak about sex and sexuality in a holistic way. Okay, This sermon, mark this, will not be a list of do's and don'ts. (laughs) Because that's far too simplistic. It's caused far too much damage. And you know what? It's not really helpful. It's not helpful. I want to address the topic holistically. And in order to do that, I'm going to focus on three things. The mind, the body, and the heart. Three things. It's really the outline of the sermon. When it comes to the mind, I'm going to discuss how we think about sex and sexuality. How we think about it and what things we turn to to shape our thinking. So that's the mind. Then we're going to move on to the body. And I want to help you understand your own body from a theological perspective. In other words, what has God said about the body that you are sitting in in this very moment? And finally, I want to move on to the heart. And I want to consider, how does Jesus care for us as sexual beings. How does he care for us? Mind, body, heart. That's my outline. But let me finally say this by way of introduction. And this is really important. If you only hear one thing this morning, oh Lord, may it be this one thing. You might be here today and you're struggling with this important part of how God has made you this part of your life. You might be struggling. Perhaps you've 
felt broken in some way when it comes to matters of sex and sexuality. Perhaps your innocence has been lost or, or even taken away. And you have deep pain. You live with it in this area of your life. You have regret. Maybe you face that every day. Or maybe you're living with this deep, unsettled feeling that though you were born a man, you feel more like a woman or vice versa. And this very real feeling has caused great confusion and turmoil. And actually sitting in a seat this morning is really difficult in this room. Or perhaps you find yourself attracted to people of the same sex. And you're anxious about how you fit in in the church. I want to take a moment to create space for each and every one of you today. And please hear this with all my heart. You are loved by God just as you are. We are all loved by God just as we are, all of us. You are his delight. And I believe he has what you need. And here's where it begins. It begins with his embrace. God embraces us. He always pulls us in to the center of his life. It's the story of the cross. It's what Jesus did. And there is no wholeness. There is no healing outside of Jesus' embrace. And so... You know, the church is an institution. We typically have not known how to walk with those of you who feel struggle in this area. And quite frankly, at times, the church as an institution has caused more hurt and harm than goodness and healing. And while the church has sometimes got it wrong, mark this, Jesus never has. Jesus has never got it wrong. And so if you're struggling this morning, you can trust him and his embrace. He has what you need. He has what we all need. Okay. So now, uh, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, a holistic view of sex and sexuality. The mind, the body, and the heart begin with the mind. How do we think about sex and sexuality? What are the sources that influence our understanding of these things? I want to have a little bit of fun with this this morning. I'm going to ask all the people here, don't worry, you don't, you don't, I'm not going to point anyone out, all right, okay? <laughs> but I, for those of you who are bold, um, I'm going to ask everyone who's here who has lived through the 80s and 90s, all right? It was a beautiful time. Uh, whoever has lived through the 80s and 90s, here's the question. When you think about that world that you grew up in, or maybe you raised kids in, what would you say was the single greatest influence shaping the culture's understanding of sex and sexuality at the time? Let me ask that again. What would you say was the single greatest influence that shaped the culture's understanding of sex and sexuality through the 80s and 90s? Anyone want to take a stab at it? TV? Is that what I heard? Yeah, okay, MTV, you nailed it. The, me the, the media, right? For those of us who grew up in the 80s, it, it, that's all we ever heard. Like, you, you, don't watch MTV. <laughs> and this is the reason why we weren't allowed to watch. Well, we're actually Canadian, so it was much music, uh, wasn't it? Uh, you must have had, uh, you know, a U.S. feed uh, there, Clint. But, uh, 
right? It was the media. For people growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, understanding uh, the culture's understanding about ourselves as sexual beings came by and large from the media. In the cultural milieu of that era, the media was arguably the authoritative voice on all matters related to sex and sexuality, right? Madonna, <laughs> Vogue magazine, Basic Instinct, Andre Agassi, and so on and so forth. And some of you are like, this guy's really old. What's he talking about? Now, okay, for those of you who were born in after 1992, you, you get your chance. Same question. What would you say is the greatest influence shaping our culture's understanding of sex and sexuality today? And hint, it's not the media. The media still plays its place, but that is not the ultimate authority that people today draw their understanding of sex and sexuality from. Where is it? Internet, okay, that maybe as a form of media and for sure shapes it. But even the, the powerful internet isn't quite the authority. It's the self, the individual, the feelings that we have. In the cultural milieu today, the, the, the culture suggests that the authoritative voice on how we should understand and order our lives as sexual beings is the voice that is inside of ourselves. We look inside for truth. We look inside for who we are, to our feelings, to our desires. Uh, to say it Another way, the book that people in our culture turn to in order to make sense of and order their sexual lives is their own human experience. It's simply how our world thinks today. Here's how Jonathan Grant puts it in his book titled Divine Sex. I think the title was there to like sell copies or something. But here's Divine Sex, a compelling vision for Christian relationships in a hypersexualized age. Here's what he says. Uh, he says this. I've got to find my place. Um, he says, Modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality, the only rule being that they must resonate with who we feel we really are. That's the point. And the point is, in today's day and age, the self has become the authoritative text telling us how to live as sexual beings in our world. And so we hear it in the mantra. For, for those of you in high school, you, you hear this often, right? Be true to yourself. Or you do you. And we look inside ourselves to find the truth about life. And the greatest sin in our current cultural context is to deny anything that we find within there. And Grant goes on to say this. He says, The worst thing we can do in our culture is to conform to some moral code that is imposed on us from the outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else. This is the predominant thinking in our world today. And now I start here because if we want to sort through the confusion on matters of sex and sexuality, we need to find a reliable source to help us make sense of things in our confusion. And the truth of the matter is, media is insufficient 
Because media uses sex in order to try and sell us something. And we can't trust that. And our inner feelings also. They are insufficient. It's not that they don't have a place, but they are insufficient because they are ever-changing. And though they are real, they don't always align with reality. The way things really are. And so we need something a little more steadfast, a little more trustworthy and reliable. And so where should we go for answers that don't simply leave us dazed and confused about our sexuality? What is a reliable, authoritative source that that doesn't change with the shifting sands of time and desire? Well, there is only one authority like that, right? And it's the one who made us sexual beings in the first place. It's God. God and his word to us. Now, here's the rub. When it comes to understanding sex and sexuality, we don't think the same way that our world does. Because we've chosen to listen to a different authority. We've chosen that on account of our faith in Christ. We've chosen to listen to a different authority. It's not an authority inside ourselves. And it's not an authority out there in culture somewhere, but God's authority given to us, primarily through his word. So then, what does God have to say about our sex and sexuality? How does he want us to think about it? What does the Bible tell us about all of this? Well, it's a great deal, as it turns out, as, as I mentioned and Brendan mentioned this morning. But today I want to focus on one particular thing, because I need to focus on one, and it's the body. It's our physical body. What does the Bible say about your body? And what does that mean for you as a sexual being in this world? First, your body is a gift. Your body is a gift from God. Psalm 139, 13 to 16 captures it beautifully. For you, God, created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Your body is a gift. And we don't often think of our bodies this way, but but God has made it clear that, that your physical body is actually a gift from the Lord. And now, think about this for a moment. Think about the parts of your body. And this might be awkward for you, but think about the parts of your body for a moment. Perhaps you love your eyes. I want you to think about your eyes for a moment. They're a gift from the Lord. Not just because of how they look, but they're a gift from the Lord. Now think about your toes. Maybe you really hate your toes. (laughs) But even your stubby little toes are a gift from the Lord. The body you are sitting in presently is the Lord's gift to you, which means that your body is not a mistake. It's not a mistake. 
Some of you may be here today wishing you had a different body. Maybe you feel like your body is too big and you want a smaller one. Or maybe you feel like your body is too small and you want a bigger one. Or maybe you were wishing your body was more athletic. For some of our elderly, more capable, right? More able. Or maybe you're feeling the body God gave you is the wrong sex and that there is some kind of mistake. My friend was paralyzed in an accident just over a year ago. I can only imagine the turmoil she thinks of from time to time when she thinks of her body. But the point is this. All kinds of people wish they had a different body. But the scriptures remind us that the body we have given is from God and it's not a mistake. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience struggle. It doesn't mean that those feelings that people have are are, are not real. They are real. And they need attention. They need the Lord's attention. And the Lord wants to help us understand the gift that he's given us. But it's more than that. It's more than that because like every gift God has given us, it's through the gift that we actually come to know the gift giver even more and more. That even in the struggle we might experience in our body, it's even in the struggle that we come to know the gift giver. That's how the gifts work. Your body, no matter how it is shaped, no matter how you feel about it, your body is a gift through which God can reveal more of himself and his character to you. It's a gift. And it should shape our thinking on sex and sexuality. Second, your your body is made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God's word says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, at the very beginning of the human story, we see the gift God has given us is made in what? It's, It's made in God's image image. And what that means at its most basic level is that our our bodies are not randomly put together, but rather God has fashioned them with a particular idea in mind or a particular design, you might say, though I, I realize that that word for some people is a trigger word. But it's this idea that God has fashioned our bodies with a particular idea. They are made in his image. And this is where our culture is a little out of sync with with our Christian view of the body. We don't rely on the voices within the culture to tell us who we are or how to live as sexual beings. Rather, we listen to the voice of the Creator, the one who made us, telling us what He has in mind in the first place. It's like we spoke about in the book of Galatians last week when I wrapped up the series. I spoke about true freedom, or maybe it was two weeks ago. True freedom isn't being able to do whatever we want, but rather true freedom is living into God's design for our life. He made life to be lived a certain way, and we turn to him for guidance on that. The point is, your body is made in God's image, which means we have, uh, he has in mind a particular design for our body as it relates to sex and sexuality. 
Here's an example from our biology, because you might be thinking, man, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> Here's an example from our biology. When, people, when people, two people have sex, a hormone is released called oxytocin, right? Many biology majors out there, you, you know this full well. Oxytocin, it's released when two people have sex. It's known as the bonding hormone. That's what scientists call it, the bonding hormone. It's the same hormone that is released in both a mother and a child when the child is breastfeeding. It's the bonding hormone. And this hormone acts to form a lifelong bond, an inseparable bond, like the one between a mother and a child. See, God has made our bodies with a certain design where, where when we, we have sex, it knits two people together in what is intended to be a lifelong bond. It's written into our biology. And so when it comes to God's design for sex, the scriptures tell us that sex is designed for husband and wife within the monogamous covenant marriage. No matter how we slice it, this is the only picture that the Bible gives us for sexual acts that honor the Lord with our body. It's the only picture we have. Why only within marriage? Because it's only in the context of covenant faithfulness that sex is able to reflect God's character of covenant faithfulness to us. It's a reflection of his character. Uh, Christian scholar John Stackhouse, he says it this way. He says, God tells us uh, in, in the scriptures that sex is good and that we are free to engage in it. God also tells us, however, that full-on, naked, total sex is reserved for the one relationship that is full-on, naked, and total. Marriage. That's the only context in which the mystical, unitive power of sex can do its work without damage. Your body is made in God's image. Third, your body is a temple. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. Listen. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Oh man, this, this could go in so many different directions. But Paul is telling us that, that our physical bodies, they, they serve a spiritual purpose. We are not just physical beings. Sex is not just a physical thing. We are, we are physical beings with a spiritual purpose, which means what we do with our body matters. It matters greatly. God, through his spirit, has united himself with our bodies. And when we use that body for sexual activity outside of God's intent, we violate not only God's way, but also God's spirit who dwells in us. More than that, we can cause harm to ourselves and particularly to other people. Sex within the confines of marriage is a sacred thing that honors the Lord. But sex outside of marriage, it breaks the sacred 
And any of you who have, who have experienced infidelity, you know that full well, painfully well. It taints the holy. I know I'm treading on very sensitive ground. And the Lord cares deeply. Affairs and pornography, one-night stand, sexual promiscuity, sex outside of marriage, they, they all cause harm in one way, shape, or form, whether you see it or not. Pastor Ken Shigematsu from 10th Church in Vancouver, he says it this way, beautifully. He says, a fire set to the fireplace can warm the entire house. But a fire set to the drapes can burn the whole thing down. <laughs> yeah. The point is, your body is a temple. So what you do with it matters. Okay, three things about the body. It's a theology that shapes our thinking, our understanding about our, our Christian sexual ethic. Your body is a gift. It's made in God's image, and it's a temple. I offer those to you. Uh, in your journey of following Jesus. Okay. Let's take a breath. We're almost there. We've spoken about the mind. We've spoken about the body. Now let me attend to the heart. How does Jesus care for us as sexual beings? That's probably a question you've never asked yourself. How does Jesus care for us as sexual beings? Where is he in all of this? Well, like I said before, Jesus loves everybody. No matter the struggle you feel today, no matter your angst, no matter your history, Jesus loves everybody in this room. And he loves you just as you are. And his love does something in us. I want to leave you with, with two images of Jesus that speak to how he cares for us as sexual beings. So two images. The first image is Jesus, the good shepherd. Jesus says this in John chapter 10. He says, I am the shepherd. Sorry, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. See, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows you intimately inside and out because he made you all things were created by him and all things were created for him and the good shepherd knows that you're made for him he knows what you have walked through in this area of your life and he will not abandon you no matter how hard it gets he is there every step of the way he won't let you be destroyed because he's the good shepherd the good shepherd of your sexual life we can trust him. He knows the way forward. Maybe some of you need to know the image of the good shepherd when it comes to your sexuality. The second image is Jesus seen as heaven's king. 
the king who restores all things. And we get this image in Revelation chapter 21 uh, in verses 3 to 5. You can picture Jesus sitting on heaven's throne and then hear these words the scriptures say. It says, And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. No matter your past, your trauma, your pain, your mistakes, your struggle, Jesus, the high king of heaven, is making everything new. This is the story of the gospel. It's the future to which we all are headed with Jesus as the leader. He heals every wound. He restores all that is broken. He replaces what has been lost. He makes sense of every struggle. He gives beauty for ashes. It's the story of our God. And so maybe some of you this morning need to know Jesus, the king who sits on the throne of heaven and makes everything new. And we pray, God, may it be today. <laughs> but we know one day it will be. For that is the future to which God has invited us to because of all that Christ has done. So, in every aspect of our sexuality, Jesus is both the good shepherd who walks with us and heaven's king who makes all things new. So we put our trust in him. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I'm wholly aware that when there is a one-way conversation, dialogue, that there is room for words to hurt and harm. And so, Jesus, I pray right now that maybe you need to minister to some people in this room that maybe they felt or heard a word that, 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 that poked. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would attend to that in whatever way it needs your attention. We're not talking this morning about issues. We're talking about people. Uh, and so, Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd and you're the one who makes all things new. And so we pray as our conversation continues, Holy Spirit, build us up. Knit us together in love for one another as we seek to be people who, who order our lives the way you want us to order our lives. And so lead us uh, as we continue on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Keith. We're going to have our panelists come up, and um, you know, as as you're thinking, you're 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 absolutely able to continue asking questions during this time. We're going to take the next uh, next few minutes to uh, to, to chat and to kind of digest um, <laughs> some of what what uh, what what Keith uh, shared and. Um, yeah, so let's, let's just get kind of right into it, but before, before we do that, let me, for those of you who don't know, um, we have a couple members, we have Pastor Keith, 
And we have Michelle, and we have Murray Dirksen. Um, uh, you, you've probably seen them around quite a bit. Uh, Murray and Michelle, they've uh, served in ministry in various uh, forms for 35 years. They've been pastors, mentors, coaches, missionaries, leaders, counselors, um, and, and you know, they've, they've walked with, you, you guys have walked with quite a few people um, from various backgrounds, various walks of life, and so thank you for being here. And, um, and uh, I probably they're going to say this um, also, but, but recognize that, you know, the three of them being up here, uh, they're okay to say, uh, I don't know, because <laughs> um, they, they don't know everything. Um, and, uh, and, and there's a... There's don't a one- tell my kids. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. My bad. So first question, um, uh, Michelle and Murray, in preparing for today, I, I know you've had conversations with Keith and... Uh, you, you mentioned that your view of God is the most important starting point when thinking about our sex and sexuality. Uh, maybe expand on that. What, why, why is our view of God so important when we come to this topic? Well, I think the way we think about God affects how we perceive his answers or his direction related to our sex and sexuality. If we see God as punitive or as distant, it's going to be harder to trust him with the hard things in life. But if we recognize this incredible love and desire to bless and give abundance and fullness of life, it also affects our ability to wrestle with him on the hard things. And I think his desire, if we look through history, his desire is for goodness. And I think our culture tries to see it or make us see it differently. And that's why it's important to come back to what do we believe about God. I think a few weeks ago, Stuart McKnight preached on the Lord's Prayer. And he said, if you have bad theology, you have bad results. If you have good theology, there's good results. So the way we think about God is really important. And um, Keith touched on it already. Going back to the, the Genesis record and God's intention for us and his desire to walk in relationship with us even as sexual beings is really important for us to remember that um, God's intention with Adam and Eve was really, really good in how he made them. It was disobedience that twisted the concept. What was one of the first results um, after the fall of Adam and Eve was their sense of shame and nakedness. And what was God's response? Well, who told you you were naked? Like, that even our sexuality was impacted directly by that disobedience. And Jesus is untwisting that in the way that he um, expressed God's desire. And he wants our identity to be realigned with how we were created. So I think if we think along those lines, it will change how we perceive ourselves. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I have two questions here that are they're kind of similar, um, but a little bit different. So I'll, I'll ask them both and then I'll let whoever respond. So the first one uh, asks, isn't our responsibility as, as Christians um, to express Jesus' love to everyone, including people who think about sexuality different than us. Um, so that's the one question. And then the second question, 
Um, the only model the church has is one woman, one man in marriage. How then can we possibly include the LGBTQ2 uh, plus community in any meaningful or inclusive way? I'll take a stab at that, you can go on. But I think, um, now I've lost my train of thought. Give me a second to think if someone else wants to do it. Well, the, what's, can you ask the, the, you, yeah, you, the, asked, the, the like, you asked two very big I know, questions. two big questions. Um, so the first one asks, isn't our responsibility um, to express Jesus' love to everyone, including people who think about sexuality different yeah. than us? Okay, yeah, let's start that's there. one, I'll start there. If you look back through history and church history, people who follow Jesus often live counterculturally. It has often been the church, Big C, or Jesus followers who have made a difference in society when culture says something different. Hospitals, schools, education. When you look at Jesus' ministry, he gave dignity to women who were unseen in that culture. He said, let the children come. Children were unseen and supposed to be unheard. He had a way of living cross-culturally. And I think he invites us into that too. His love, his ability to embrace and welcome anyone and everyone astounds me and amazes me. And we're called to live like him. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, in the short answer to the first question is absolutely. Of course, yeah. love is... And then, then the, the question becomes, okay, well, what does that look like yeah. when, uh, when the church uh, or people within the church uh, are reading scripture and trying to make sense of that and come to a different conclusion than, the, you know, than others in our world? Uh, and that's the million-dollar question. Uh, uh, and, and I would say that the, the hope of moving forward lies not in thinking institutionally, but in thinking relationally. Right? That this is like, how does, how do, what is the church? Well, you know, when you go home, you're the church. <laughs> that's, that's the church. Uh, and so what does that relationship look like with your neighbor who thinks very differently than you? Ah, that, if we can get there, if we can start thinking about living that life of love. Now, it doesn't answer all the questions, of course, right? There are a million questions that come beyond that. Uh, but it's a start. And, 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 and quite frankly, I don't think that's where we've started as a church. We think institutionally, not relationally. Yeah, we, we, we tend to think of top-down, right? We, we right. answer this question from, okay, what does Pastor Keith and the board decide? Right. And, and then the church act on that, where as opposed to, okay, what is my relationship with the person in front of me, and how, how, can, I, how, how can I love and express and, and, and continue from there? Just, yeah, please. And I think we also have become fairly reactive instead of proactive in our approaches. So when we hear a different perspective on sexuality within culture, we, we tend, at least I do, tend to react strongly from a biblical perspective instead of just taking time to suspend my, my perspective and listen to the heart of the person and actually be a bit more proactive in loving and expressing that love. And with our kids, um, not being so reactive in our training of our children <clears throat> with regards to sex and sexuality in our culture, but being proactive at a young age uh, to have the conversation with them about how they think about sex and sexuality. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, so a little bit different topic. You, Keith, you mentioned that God has created us as sexual beings. Um, for those of us who are, are getting older and um, that maybe looks different than, than when they were younger. So can you speak to um, what's, you know, what is being a sexual being when, when you're older? What, what does that look like? Uh, well, Murray, Murray and Michelle are older than I am. It's great. Pa- pa- passing the buck, I guess, okay? I, I'm more than happy to take that, but I've said a lot this morning already, so... Now I feel like I'm going to be the one who says too much. Um, how we are created um, is... Our system, our, our physical systems change as we get older. And that's just part of the natural process. And I think um, the concept of sex becomes less important the older you get, unless you artificially um, stimulate the mind with things like pornography or things like that. I, I think. Uh, the older we get, we may feel like, oh, that part of our life is getting less, so we need to somehow create uh, mental stimulation. But that's not true. God has created our bodies. We, we have a certain period in our lives where we are meant to create children, and then that kind of gets less and less and less as you get older. So if you're experiencing the less part uh, as you're older, that's natural. It's normal. And I think it's something that we can talk about in the church. And I think there's a beauty as well in it. I think the older I get, the ability to express love in multiple forms, not just the sex act, it's, it's richer, it's developed, and that's the beauty of a monogamous relationship, too, because there's that covenant relationship that down through the years, you work through a lot of stuff together, so there's a deeper level of trust. There's a deeper level of vulnerability that can happen because of the time that has passed. Yeah, and maybe the one thing I would add is for, well, two things. One, I read an article this, uh, this week that talked about uh, uh, people in their 80s having the most fulfilling sexual lives uh, of their entire, so I don't know what, what's behind that, but uh, I think it's Viagra. Uh, but, um, uh, uh, and so I'll say that. But I'll also say that um, the, maybe the, the question that we might run into in time is how do I live as a sexual being when things have changed, like when my body has changed, when the, my social situation has changed, maybe I've lost a loved one, right? Uh, I'm trying to navigate life as a, as a single uh, person who is aging, and there's some real questions there, and so maybe you want to ask them in two weeks when we talk about singleness. Because right? sometimes we talk about singleness and we think, oh, we're talking about young, unmarried people. Ah, there's more to it than that, right? There are a lot of people who sing- are single. So that's me saying, hey, I'm not going to answer the question. I-, I want two weeks to figure out what I was going to say. So there's this, th- there's this question that says, can you talk about sex and sexuality in a post-marriage relationship, yeah. you know, due to divorce or death? And we're going to table that for two weeks. Well, yeah. I-, I mean, other than to say, look, look, it, 
the, the complexity of what a single person or, or, you know, is trying to navigate or in a post-marriage world, that's fine. That's how the world is thinking. But as God's church, we're trying to order our lives, not the way the world's telling us to, but the way that, that God is. And so now people, so, but the way we navigate life is going to look differently. It's going to be harder for some people. That's just the reality. We don't, we don't all get dealt the same deck, right? Our life doesn't always turn out the same way. And so every person experiences life differently. We just need to face that. I mean, that's a, that's you know that can be a difficult thing for some people. So I don't want to gloss over that. Uh, but the reality is, there, there's some nuanced things we can talk about as we as we look into the question: of What does a single person have to navigate? Like as we're talking about sex within marriage. Well, does that mean that someone who's single doesn't uh, get to fulfill their life in that way? Well, we can talk about that, and I want to talk about that. Uh, and so, but it'll take a while to get to get a good robust answer. Yeah. Okay. Um, let, let me read this, and then you can kind of parse out any questions uh, as I do. There are many, way, uh, many, many ways creation is imperfect. Uh, we celebrate many de- uh, deviations, such as physical disabilities, mental disabilities, mental illness. We know that many things will not be perf- perfected in heaven, not on earth. Um, how is sexual diversity any different? Uh, so this, you know, what I'm reading here, right, there's this idea of in, in our culture, and I guess there's um, an ass- assumption in our church, we celebrate many different um, uh, differences besides, you know, from like a, 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 someone who, uh, uh, you know, from, from an abled-bodied person, right, so physical disabilities, mental disabilities, mental illness, why can we not group sexual diversity as one of those things that we celebrate alongside? That's a great question. Um, I think it goes back a bit to what Keith said at the beginning, too, that our culture says sex really doesn't mean anything, there's no attachment. And then at the same time, it says that our sexuality is everything. I think that's part of the reason for the confusion in it. And I think just as other disabilities or other things that happen, it is a part of our life, but it is not the whole of our life. I remember seeing an illustration once that in our culture, it's like we have a square that is life, and sexuality is this big circle that fills the square. At least that's how we perceive it. But sexuality actually is a small circle in the big square, as are disabilities or different things that happen. So I think it's our perspective towards those things. It's not that it doesn't matter. It does matter, but it isn't the whole of life. And maybe I would I would um, add a comment about the a key question that is not I think it's maybe getting there is what space is there like what room is there for someone who's who's different who doesn't kind of like look or talk or you know what space is there for for someone who's navigating you know their their maybe the, the transgender issues like in their own life right what space is there for someone like that within the body of Christ. Oh, church, may there be space, right? There, may there be space. Uh, and so that is a, that's a real practical question. Um, what space is there? And probably there are some things that, and so as you, in your let's talk, I think there's a question that relates to that. Like what, you know, what can the church do to, to create room? Um, uh, and, uh, yeah. Well, and, and let me interpret what Keith just said for us. <laughs> Um, when, when I was speaking in tongues. When, when, when Keith says, what can the church do to make space, he's not saying, what can I do and the church leadership do? 
He's saying, what can you do yes. to make space? Bingo. Oh, yes. Right? right. This is From now on, whenever I say the church, that is exactly what I think. Yeah, and it's, it's really important because it's easy to be sitting in a pew. And I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience. Right. It's easy to be sitting in a pew, ask these questions. How can the church make space? And just by asking that question, we're like, okay, it's not my responsibility to make the space. Right. It's actually Keith's or the board or other pastors. It's, it's, it's on us, right? How can you and I make space? And as, as, as a, I, I don't know the answer every time, but it's, it's a great spot to start. That's good. I think Jesus gives us some great examples in how to make space. Who did he hang out with? Did he yeah. hang out in the temple with the religious leaders all the time? Mm. <clears throat> he did that when he was 12. But in his adult ministry life, who did he hang out with? He hung out with people that were not kind of your normal, everyday, religious person. He was intentional in how he loved and accepted and and forgave people around him. I think that's just a great starting point for us. Who did Jesus hang out with? So as the church, who should we hang out with? Man, there's so many good questions, but time is one more question, or should we we, we call it time ten forty three? Okay, you know what? We're we're gonna call this. Um, you know, we've had twenty minutes of good Q and A, and there's a bunch of questions that I haven't gotten to. You know, I, I would encourage us to. Hey, uh, Brent, Brendan, is there? So you're no more questions. Maybe we could ask one about like if someone is like resources or someone's struggling. What, what can they? do yeah is that so, okay please okay keith what, what's, the, what's, just, what's the question i just texted my question in uh um yeah I if think. yeah okay if, if someone is if someone is you know maybe struggling or, or 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 what you said hit a nerve or there's a question that has been unanswered where where do they go to who do who do they, who do they turn to yeah do you want me to take that yeah talk about a planted question yeah yeah, a couple couple things. I think that you know this is these are personal things, right? So um, if you if you're kind of wondering, okay, I need some spiritual direction on this. I just need to hear what the Lord is speaking to me individually. Come see one of the pastors. Like Michelle is a pastor on staff. I'm here. Uh, we, you know, we we would love anyone here. We would love to walk with you. Now, let's recognize something. Pastors are not counselors, right? We're we're not we're not trained uh, in in uh, in some of these things, and so. So we know that. <laughs> uh, and so maybe for you, an appropriate step is to, to meet with a counselor at Third Space. Uh, we were talking about Third Space before. Uh, you know, it's a great uh, group that you can connect in. And they just have people who can help you navigate these things. Um, uh, and uh, uh, one other resource that I, uh, that I want to point people toward, you know, you have kids. Uh, we got a few books in our library, uh, and they're age-specific about how to talk to your kids about sex. Uh, whether it's like age three to five and then six to something, and I can't remember the age breakdowns, but that they have those. And so there, it's a great resource uh, that you can use to, to kind of talk to your kids about sex. But really, if uh, that's why I want to continue the conversation, right? Uh, and, you know, maybe you're part of a small group, uh, a circle. Uh, it's a good opportunity for you to be vulnerable. I mean, we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. That was last week, right? We spoke about that. Um, and... Uh, this, this is a burden. Uh, it can be a burden. Um, uh, and so, but Jesus knows the way forward. He's a good shepherd, and he's the king who uh, makes all things new. So. 
Anything else? Marie, Michelle? A lot of it is rooted in our identity. And if we have a solid sense of our identity as it relates to God um, and how he sees us in, in a holistic way, I think if we can grasp how God sees us, some of these other issues um, will align with that. So it's part of that good theology, good practice in life. If we can understand where our identity lies and we don't tie our identity to our sexuality or our ability or our disability or to our work or to our economic status, those are all twisted things that can change what our identity is. But I think realigning our identity with how God sees us in our relationship with him helps to settle uh, whether we tie some of these other things to the center of our identity or not. Yeah, fantastic. And, and as we go from here, you know, we, we can take that to heart. And, you know, there's, there's an Old Testament way of referring to God as the one who sees you, right? This is the God who sees you, who says, oh, I see you, I, I love you, right? He's seen all of you, and the, the good, the bad, the, the past, the hurt, the, the future, and, and he still chooses to love you and to go with you uh, today and this week. And so we can, we can go from here um, as, as, as people, right, who have been seen by the holy of holies and have been loved by the same God. Let's go in peace this week, church. Well, oh, sorry. I, I, oh, and one thing. Thank you, Keith, for texting in another question. <laughs> We are, um, and I'm going to just pull up my phone just so I don't miss anything. We are putting our money where our mouth is. Uh, so as a church, right, we don't simply want to talk about these issues. You know, we want to go from here. We want to talk about them together. We want to act. We want to figure out how can the church make space. Um, and one of the things that the, the board decided this week and for the next uh, four weeks is that we are going to donate um, money to four different organizations um, on these Sundays. And sometimes they overlap with what we're talking about. Sometimes they don't. But we want to be a church that participates in engaging with the city uh, and our neighbors, right? That's, that's who we want to be. And so um, this week, uh, we as a church, we've donated $2,000 to the Okanagan Pregnancy Care Center as part of their baby bottle drive. So this is a great place if you want to do some research. Yeah, you're clapping for yourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and as a quick reminder for those of you who have been participating in their fundraising fundraiser, we are collecting the bottles in a few weeks on June 19th. So uh, yeah, go, go with that and go as people who are seen and loved by God. All right, take care.